Amen. It's time for Children's Church. Thank you so very much, Katja. May the Lord bless you as you continue to serve him. It's pretty impressive that Katja could learn to sing in Cantonese just over the course of this summer. Just as impressive as Cutie Judy playing piano in Cantonese for that. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So, and I was, I was thinking, in fact, this is how I gave her the name Cutie Judy. I was thinking as Katja was describing talking to 200 people who who say, you know, they give you nothing back in terms of, of speaking to them. And um, when I got here years ago, we were still worshiping in that fellowship hall. I just always thought it was okay to have a little humor in the pulpit. And I can remember for the first few years, nobody knew how to laugh in our church, except Cutie Judy. She'd be down here, she'd be giggling away for me. I always counted on that laugh. So, Katja, I get it. When you found the one person that would laugh, it's like, oh, I know Judy will laugh at this joke. So, anyways, anyways, thank you, Katja. That has been wonderful. And may God bless us as we turn and open his word together now. I am, I am truly excited about opening the book of Hebrews with you. Uh, partly, never done it before formally in any context. Oh, by the way, seeing Bob over here. Forgive me for interrupting this. Um, adult Bible study. We'll be meeting here through, at least through the month of September. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we, we finished our last time with a cookout? Let's cook out, all right? I'll bring meat and buns and then the rest of you bring something, if you're coming, bring something to pass to that goes with meat and buns, okay? And we'll have, we'll grill out, and we'll start with a, with a grill out that way. Are we good? Are we all right with that? Now, whoever records this and posts it to the internet, somehow you have to fix that, because that doesn't need to be in there. So you'll, you'll sort that out. But um, never been in the book of Hebrews before. Never been there in terms of formally, and so I'm excited about it. I had this growing sense while on sabbatical that... You need to get in Hebrews. You need to be in Hebrews. That's the book. And then the question is, do you take it quickly? Like, do we go, well, we could hit some highlights and be done, say, by Christmas, or do we do a little deeper dive and just say, let's just slow it down and take our time and go in with more depth? And I just have a sense that the appropriate thing for us to do is to take our time with it. So I doubt we will be done before Christmas I'm excited about what we're going to see. Part of the thing that, that excites me about this is um, if we take a slower approach to it, we're going to learn not just about this book, but this book references back the Old Testament so often, I'm hoping it gives us a much broader perspective of the things that we read about in other parts of the Bible. And so I'm trusting it will be very informative in that way. It's a book that we were going to come to some places where you will definitely recognize some things because it's referenced often, even if it's not preached through regularly. In fact, uh, it's just really cute. Uh, I was, I always move back and forth before the service and had to get out and get a drink of water and, and I'm coming back in and Kim Capping says to me, we start Hebrews today? And I said, yeah. And he said, the word of God is sharp and quicker than any two-edged sword, even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's like, that's it, Kim, we're going to get there. That's it. But there will be verses that you go, oh, I've heard this for years. I've heard this referenced. Maybe you didn't know that that was from the book of Hebrews, but we will, we will be getting there. And I encourage you, I, I really do encourage you, 
This would be a great place to, to start bringing some friends right now. Get them at the beginning of this series. Get them here and say, look, why don't you come join us? And let's, let's dig in together. And, and uh, it's just going to be good. I trust. I trust the Lord is in it. So I'm excited about it. But before we open the book, and uh, we are going to get to chapter 1, verse 1 today. Before we do, there's some interesting things that uh, those of you who do a lot of studying Scripture, you already know about Hebrews, but the rest of us perhaps need to get caught up with these things. Just some interesting background stuff. First of all, who wrote the book of Hebrews? You know who, you know who wrote it? No, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. That's an interesting fact about it. Most books, we understand who the author was. It, here are the names that have been set forth. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Apollos, Luke, Philip, Priscilla, Aquila, and Clement of Rome have all been suggested as possible authors for the book of Hebrews. But when push comes to shove, nobody knows for sure who wrote it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, and this is the kind of thinking that goes with this stuff, Hebrews chapter 13, at the very end of the book, we read in verse 23... Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So one thing that we can conclude is that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews knew Timothy, right? Now, we've all already made a jump in our minds with that. Oh, he knows Timothy. What are we thinking? We're thinking it's the Timothy of the New Testament. I would assume that's it, but we're not given that connection either. He knew somebody named Timothy, he or she knew somebody named Timothy, but that's an interesting thing about this book. The author's not known. Now, how do you date this book? When was it written? It's something when we're going to begin to study a book. It's nice to know these things. Now, there are various references that indicate that the temple practices were still in play at the time it was being written. We know from history that um, Emperor Titus came through and in 70 A.D. destroyed the temple. Remember Jesus predicted that not one, one uh, stone would be left upon another, that that temple was going to be destroyed, and they, of course, scoffed at him for that. Uh, but in 70 A.D., Emperor Titus came through, destroyed the temple. So the conclusion then is made probably because it gives the, uh, we have the sense that the temple practices were ongoing from some of the things that are being said that they were current, that perhaps it was written before 70 AD when it was destroyed. There's also in chapter 10 verses 32 to 39, and then I think even including chapter 11, chapter 11 you've referred to as what? How do you, who, how, do, how have they nicknamed Hebrews chapter 11? The Hall of Faith, somebody said it. The Hall of Faith. We're used to the Hall of Fame. It's the Hall of Faith. And the entire chapter is given over to those who have walked with God, remained faithful to, from beginning to end, and um, never gave up. And for some of them, and we'll see this, for some of them, they didn't give up, and there were great victories won on their behalf. Others didn't give up, and they died for their commitment to serving God didn't matter. They were staying true to the faith. Well, prior to that in, in chapter 10, and then after that in chapter 12, where we're encouraged to, um, to continue on and uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then in chapter 13, verse 3, we have these indications that there may very well have been an increasing persecution upon Christians at the time this was written. 
And so life is getting tougher for them. And that's part of the reason, perhaps, why Hebrews needed to be penned. Because there is this intensifying persecution coming against Christians, specifically against Christians. So that's perhaps what is his purpose. Perhaps also, because we can see hints of this in there, and we will get to it, it's nothing more than uh, the appeal of the world system to self-gratification. And some are just, they're on the edge of stepping back into that. And the writer says, no, no, you can't, don't go back there. That's not, that's not where we want to be. It appears the book was written to encourage believers Believers who truly have come to faith in Jesus Christ and those on the edge of belief, if I can define it that way. It will, and notice how I say, if I can define it that way. I guarantee you we're going to come to some places in the book of Hebrews where some of us some of us have already reached conclusions about it must mean this, and others say, no, it must mean this over here. And we will leave the book of Hebrews with some differences of just trying to understand certain of these people, and and I've just here described them as those on the edge of belief. And it's it's written to encourage them, whether believers who are already believers or those on the edge of belief, to enter into a deep and abiding faith that will withstand the perils of that day. To not let what is happening around distract you. It says, the Hebrew says to its eyes, don't let it distract you from following after the things of God. Remain true to living your life with a complete devotion to, the, to God, to his kingdom, as that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. That's some backgrounds to the book. Now, that being, that being the context, the purpose, and as we try and gain that from, uh, from the author and, and as to what he, he was writing about, in order to address those who perhaps are on the edge of belief or, 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 or falling back, if you will, in order to address them, he sets forth what I would call certainties for uncertain times. They're living in uncertain times. And he's saying, now, based upon these things that I am showing you, things that we will look at, based upon these truths, based upon these realities, this is a foundation that you can count on. And it is so sure. It is so stable. It is so significant It is so victorious in its end that you can walk in the things of God confidently based upon these foundational truths and never cease to serve him regardless of the earthly outcome in light of these perilous times around you. And the truths, the certainties for uncertain times that the writer sets forth for the people of his immediate audience, they're just as true for us today because they are eternal truths. And it's why we are calling this series Timeless Certainties for Uncertain Times. Timeless Certainties 
for uncertain times. They are things we will do well to heed, to hold on to, to understand. We build our lives on these things and we're on solid ground. Because we live also ourselves in uncertain times. Do we not? We do. We do. I... One of the things I just find intriguing to follow, I can't say, I, I, I barely have it in me to read the political stuff that's out there. I just, I'm, I'm so weary of it. I'm worn out by it. But one of the things I've seemed to be inclined to read every article on, um, are you aware this past week that North Korea um, did another nuclear test? And you know, Scripture speaks in the end times of an army coming from the east. Not making any connection, just saying, hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? But Korea is uh, always creating issues. Um, look around the world internationally. What do you, what, what's the thing presently that we know? We know there's a refugee problem that uh, may ultimately, it may ultimately cost Angela Merkel her place in Germany as leading Germany because they're tired of the million that she let in. I'm not speaking to whether it's good or bad. I'm saying... It's perilous times. It's uneasy times. It's, it's, we don't know. There's so many places where, where we just don't understand what is going on. And we could look at that internationally. And uh, we could, if we wanted, we could scare ourselves internationally in terms of presently what has happened with our, with our own uh, Navy defense, uh, with our own armed forces, with our own military, how they've been depleted. We could... We could we could go, man, this, this, is, this raises some questions for us. It doesn't seem like some things we knew. Politically, well, maybe you guys are just thrilled to watch what's happening politically. You go, it's really fun to read all of this and, and to keep up with it. And I, and I find myself going, yeah, we got two major candidates. And I've, I find myself going, this is the best we have, America. This is the best that we have to offer for ourselves this is the best that we've got? I don't, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that. And that's why I'm so, that's why I'm so wearied by it. And um, we, need to, we need to be paying attention to that. In fact, I'd like to throw this out as a possibility. Now, this, you guys will decide if this happens or not. I've been wrestling with the possibility because I try and not to, in, from the pulpit, I try and not to speak towards one political end or another. Okay, I, I just try not to do that. Um, and it's not that I'm afraid about us losing our tax-exempt status. Okay? <laughs> if it comes to that point, it's like, well, I'll, we'll scratch that. We'll pay the taxes. All right? If it comes to that point. Um, I just want to be able to speak what the Scripture says and not ride a particular hobby horse. However, I am concerned about ourselves as a nation. All right? I am deeply concerned. I am, I am deeply concerned who we are as a nation. By the way... Um, I was I was moved yesterday when the parade happened to see whether wherever we're at as a nation to know in northwest Minnesota we still salute the flag. We still understand what freedom is about. And that I was proud of. But politically, so here's an idea. You guys will have to approach me. If enough of you approach me, I'm really wondering whether or not we ought to take one Sunday night a month between now and the inauguration of our next president to openly discuss 
and to put our views out there politically and um, then to pray, but to have open discussion about where's this thing headed and then to pray for our nation um, because I don't sense that the pulpit is the place to have that open discussion. My task is not to push a political agenda. It is to proclaim the word of God. And that's, that's that. Economically, remember a couple of years, it was a couple of years ago, people were getting all stressed out about that. Uh, we were going to hit 17 trillion indebtedness, and now we're pushing 19 trillion. Anybody talking about that? It's like we don't even think about it anymore. And it's another two trillion beyond what it was. How is that possibly sustainable? Economically, it's ridiculous what is happening worldwide even. You can go beyond just the United States. And it's just, it's just crazy. Morally, do we, do we feel like we're moving in a good direction morally? I, I don't, I don't sense that it's something we're, we're, we're just really going, man, there's great things to celebrate. What we're doing relative to what God has made clear in his, in his word about the value of life. And, uh, Abortions continue to roam. What God has made clear about, about a husband and a, uh, and a wife comprising a marriage. And we have just dismissed that. We've just dismissed it as that no longer matters. And, and socially, and what I, what I mean simply by socially is we, as we try and decide where we're going as a nation, this is just speaking to us in our context, as we try and decide where we're going as a nation, we are becoming more and more anti-Christian. And what I mean by that, don't, don't get too far with it in terms of what I'm trying to say is simply this. Our founding fathers established our nation, our form of government, our nation, our principles, our morals on Christian principles, on biblical principles. We have displaced that now. We no longer know how to bring scriptural truths into our national discussion. In fact, we go, horrors, you can't do that. Well, friends, when you have when you have erased the foundation, what are you going to build on and with after that? And it strikes me that we don't seem to have men and women intelligent enough to know how anymore, how to incorporate that into their thinking. And we have dismissed it. That's passe. That's old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore. Okay, then what does inform our social structures and our way of life. What does inform, it seems to me, when you do away with the scriptures, what informs it is whatever party in power, whatever they favor. Where's the foundation in that? It's just their opinion versus their opinion. Where's reality and truth and transcendent um, uh, transcendent ideas and concepts that go beyond just my opinion, your opinion. It is uncertain times, friends. The world around us, immediately around us, is changing. I, I find myself, even just uh, for what, who we're about, I find myself saying this often, and that is 22 years ago when we started together, the world in America was at one place. We're not there anymore, people. We have to be aware 
that we're going to have to deal differently or do some things differently because if we're trying to minister to where the world was 20-some years ago, they have passed us by in significant ways. And they're not interested in what we had to say 22 years ago. We're going to have to figure out how to take some certain truths and bring them into this day and age without changing them. That's what I mean by anti-Christian. We're just pushing biblical concepts out of our national discourse as having any authority to speak and to inform us. Of course, the politicians will bring Jesus' name in if somehow it's beneficial to them and something they want to say politically. But it's not going to impact the social norms they put in place. So, the book of Hebrews is going to give us timeless certainties for uncertain times because we too are in them, just as the recipients of this book were. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Magnificent start to this book. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. I know what you're thinking. 21 minutes to the hour, the Vikings are playing, and he gets to the Bible verse then. (laughs) What is he thinking? Well, if you would see my notes, first time I've ever done this. How do I outline what I'm going to say? And you know how outlines work, okay? You got point one, point two, point three, point four, and however many. All right? That's how we do it. We all know it, okay? My outline consists of point one half. Right there, one half. Do you want to, see, want to verify that, Crystal? Come up here. And my outline, does that say point one half? Yes, point one half, which means we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, friends, okay? Point one half. But this magnificent verse where Hebrews begins, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, yields to us one simple truth. God has always been revealing himself to us. God has always been revealing himself to us. God, who at various times and in various ways. Different translations will put it in different ways. Literally, in the, in the original language, it doesn't begin with God. That falls in a little bit later. It begins with the word in many portions or many parts. What are the portions and the parts? What it's communicating is that, that God's truth did not come whoomp like this big wallop out of the sky all in one and crushed mankind with all of his truth. It has come in parts. Some see the parts as God working in different ways at different times. I tend to see the part simply as this, that God revealed at distinct points in history. God revealed truth to mankind that mankind needed at that point. There's always been enough truth 
for man to be held accountable to God, for man to be able to find his way if he will listen to the truth that is there. But at various, in various ways, in various parts, here they are. They come, they come, they co- it comes and it comes and it comes. And you know where some of those are if you just stop and think for a moment. Of course, Adam was the first recipient of truth from God. But just, just think through some of those places. All right? Who found grace in the eyes of the Lord when the world was in a horrible place? It was Noah. And God said to him, he didn't tell him everything he was ever going to do, but he said, build an ark because I'm going to flood the earth. We're going to get a fresh start here. And Noah was a recipient of one of those portions of Revelation. Very significant, chapter 12, where God calls one man by the name of Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, get to a place that I'm going to show you because I'm going to do something with you. And here's a shaft of life down into this dark world, a shaft of light that comes. And we follow those, those points of light piercing into the darkness. And every one of these books that we have in the Old Testament is, are those points of light being revealed to us. And so we can think of Abraham. We can think later of Moses. We can think of David We can think of the prophet Samuel. These were those receiving these parts, these portions of God's revelation. And God was doing it not only various portions. It says various portions in various ways. And you know the different ways in which God has revealed himself. It's nothing new. He's used visions. He's used symbols. He's used dreams. He's used parables, poetry, prose, history, wisdom. At some points, if you think about it, he even wrote with his own finger. Did he not? He wrote for Moses on the tablets and with Nebuchadnezzar on the wall. You've been found wanting. There are points when he's, when he's done it in many different ways. We have a creative God. He doesn't bore us by doing it the same way all the time. They get, oh, yeah, been there, done that. It's like, no, he comes many different times, many different ways. God spoke by the prophets in days past. The ages past to our fathers. God has always been revealing himself. That's where Hebrews begins, to a group of people who have the potential of just falling back. So, you know, we've been following this Jesus thing, either following because I'm kind of interested, I want to know where it goes, or, man, I've been committed to it, I'm a believer, and the possibility is, you know, not sure it's worth it anymore. See, friends, we're all tempted at some time. We are all tempted at some time to give up. We're all tempted at some time to quit. I thought it was just so interesting that in Concha's picture, she mentioned Esther, that she was there, Esther, she was there uh, by God's sovereign hand. And I believe that. That she, if I understood what Katja said, she'd kind of walked away from the Jesus thing because she found out she had some issues in her life and she couldn't understand that. And all of us will be tempted with that. We will all hear that voice and say, why are you bothering to sacrifice living for the kingdom? When the rest of the world is out there doing what they want and you're trying to learn a discipline about honoring God and dying to yourself and learning to serve others with your time and your resources and your energies, why bother? 
And we all hear that voice. We all hear those, uh, th- those arrows of the evil one. And sometimes, and maybe these are the kinds of questions that, that we ask. Maybe Esther asked questions like this. If God is truly loving, if God is wise, if God is powerful, if, 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 then why doesn't he fix it? I can see it's bad. I can even see solutions that would help improve things. And if God is so good in all of these ways as we say he is, then he should do something as I see fit. He should do it the way I think he should do it. And if he doesn't, and sometimes because he hasn't, I'm out of here. I think the scriptures speak to this issue in a large context. I think they would say this to us. God sees that it's bad also. Oh, yeah, it's bad. (laughs) It's bad. Seen that commercial with the guy who's got a bad tooth? You know, he's at the dentist, got a bad tooth, and the guy, oh, we don't fix teeth. We just, have you seen that one? We don't fix them. We just identify the problem. And his assistant, you know, he said, you got a bad tooth. His assistant goes, yeah, it's bad. Okay. Think of that. See, because God sees that it's bad also. But I think God would tell us, not as we say, God, it's, it's bad. You got to fix it. I think, you know what I think God would say to us? He would say, it's worse than you think. God, you need to fix it now because it's bad. He said, hang on a second. I'm trying to reveal to you it's worse than you think. And because it's worse than you think, you need a much bigger solution than you've begun to think about. And I'm the only one that's going to come with that solution. And see, he's been revealing to us all along. His word is revealing to us all along. As the, as the light shatters the darkness, all along he's been speaking through the prophets. From times past, he's been speaking and he's been saying, it's worse than you think. And the solution's got to be bigger than anything that you've thought of. But there's one thing about that solution that sometimes gets kind of stuck right here. In order to embrace the solution, we must humble ourselves before this God. He's been making his light known. He's been making his truth known. He has not left himself without a witness. The situation is bad, but he'll tell us it's worse than we've ever considered. See, because he sees it from from the viewpoint of perfection in all of his attributes. We see it as just a fallen person. It gets uncomfortable by some things that I see around me, and I'd like it to change. He sees it from, from complete moral perfection. And knows how bad it really is. And he says it's gotta be, it's gotta be a drastic change that takes place. And I'm making the change, but it's gonna require you to humble yourself. The book of Hebrews, timeless certainties for uncertain times. May we humble ourselves to listen in the weeks ahead to see what God would say. Because his solutions are only available to those who are willing to recognize that he alone is God. He's making himself known. We need to listen to him 
to not try and solve it our own way. Father, thank you. Thank you for the chance of, of just this little bit of thought on your word. Lord, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this opportunity. But, Lord, I pray that we will commit ourselves to the study of this particular book of Hebrews, that we will make it a point to be here, that we will make it a point to consider the things that you are saying. Cause being with your people, Lord, and worshiping you and, and, and um, being in your word together, cause it to be a singular priority in our lives that we might get the most out of this which we have begun to open up in such a small way this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.